Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to the Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We've been walking through the last week of Jesus's ministry and his life here on earth in a, in a series called Seven Days. And really it's part of a broader teaching series we've done on Christ going back to the start of January. We looked at the miracles that he performed, the parables that he told, and now for the last few weeks, we've been pulling some highlights from the Passion Week. We started on Palm Sunday and what's known as the triumphal entry where Christ enters Jerusalem to the praise and cheers from a massive crowd welcoming him to the city. We learn that God values our worship. In fact, he he desires you to give everything in your worship to him, all of your emotions, your attention, your abilities. And then, you know, we peeked into Monday after that and and Christ is at the temple on Monday. Mark gives us a clue uh, that is that it's that particular day. And, and, And he chases out all the money changers and he overturns all the tables. And, you know, he's not angry at the actual buying and selling. He's angry at where this buying and selling is taking place. Gentiles are being prevented from experiencing God's presence in worship because the exchanges were set up in the only place where they could worship. Don't allow barriers to be erected in your life that could keep people from truly experiencing Jesus. And finally, last week, we focused on Jesus' own words concerning signs of the end of the world and the intense suffering which awaits believers as we get closer to His return. He is coming again. And as much as we want this world to get better, by all accounts, Jesus' own words and the Scriptures tell us that well, it, it, it's just not. It's not going to get better. It's going to continue to get darker and darker. But here's our comfort as believers. God's in control, right? He's in control and He's victorious over evil and the end. And that brings us to where we are here today. We're on Thursday. <laughs> I, I, I know, like we skipped a day, right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Where, where's Wednesday? Well, there's actually very little written about Jesus on a Wednesday. So most scholars think he may have returned to Mary, Martha's home in Bethany and arrested, knowing full well you know, what lay ahead in the coming days. So we get to Thursday, and the Passover is set to begin that evening at sundown. And so Jesus needs a place to participate with his apostles. And there's some thinking that he actually celebrated at Mark's home. And the big clue here is only Mark's gospel records a young man who had followed Jesus and his disciples from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane. And when the soldiers arrest Jesus and the disciples, you know, scatter everywhere, one of them grabs this young man's tunic, but the young man manages to escape and run off, just start naked. All right. It's so unique and so embarrassing. It gives some weight to the idea only Mark could have known about it and actually write about it because, you know, well, it's it's Mark, right? Uh, Now, all the Gospels record this special night, which we call the Last Supper. And we're going to read Matthew's account of this event at the end today and observe communion together. Uh, In fact, if you want to pause right now and just grab some crackers and juice, uh, go ahead, uh, because we'll come back to this at the end here today. Okay, 
Uh, but all the Gospels record the Last Supper. But John does something which is really unique. There's, there's 21 chapters in John, and five of them are devoted, not, uh, are, are devoted not to the events of the Last Supper that you read in the other Gospels themselves, okay? But actually to the dinner conversation that Jesus has. So you get this picture in John's Gospel of Jesus and his disciples, and they're reclining after the meal. So they're, they're, they're laying back. You ate on cushions on the floor back then. So they're laying back, and Christ, knowing this was the last night with his followers, he gives one final talk that's going to span five topics divided into five chapters in John. And what I want to do today is just walk you through those chapters, those questions, those topics with you, and then give you some questions to ask over the next couple of weeks while you're having coffee or dinner or just hanging out with folks. Why? Because I think some of the best conversations we have with people are over a great meal or a great coffee, right? And so if Christ were having dinner with you, what, what would he say? And I think the first thing he would say is, your highest calling is to serve others. So look at what he does here in the, in the final evening with his followers. John chapter 13, uh, verse number 1. He, this is Jesus here, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And so Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from, the, uh, from God and would return to God. And so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Jesus had all the pressure in the world on him at this point. Like he knew the suffering which lay ahead for him and the anxiety had to have been in just overdrive, you know, at, at that point. And it certainly would be for me, you know. But he slows down and he has this Passover meal with his followers. And then he engages in conversation with them, pouring into them, showing them what it means to serve. And this serving, this freaked his guys out. They were very uncomfortable with it. So much so that Peter objects and, and, and Jesus has to step in and say, look, if you, if you don't let me do this to you, if we can't get this close, then, then we can't partner with what's to come here. you got to let me serve you. He realizes, too, that they, they still don't quite understand. And so he explains his actions in verse number 12. Do you understand what I was doing? You, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow, so do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Your highest calling in life is to serve. You serve God first and foremost, you serve others next. Now, I know most of you know that, right? But if Jesus were sitting having a dinner conversation with you, I think he'd bring up this topic. I think he'd say, you know, hey, tell me what you're doing to serve other people. Why? Because we're always to be thinking of others before ourselves. However, we're not to serve solely because others need it. We're to serve so that we're blessed in the process too. Uh, there, there's a joy that you experience which brightens your day. It makes you feel good, right? But more than that, here's the, here's the, here's the key. It makes you feel fulfilled, doesn't it? And it should. 
We were never meant to live for ourselves. Adam was created to, to, to do what? To serve God. Eve was created to help and serve Adam. No one person has ever been created to do anything for themselves. God's design is not built like that. So here's your table topic question to ask. What could you do this week to intentionally serve somebody else? What could you do at work, in your neighborhood, or, or, or at school? How could you serve someone this week which, which may not open a door for them to experience the heart of Christ, but also bless you as well. And Jesus then makes a turn away from serving in John 14. He realizes this is not exactly what the disciples had in mind, right? They, they think he's setting up a physical kingdom right now, and he will. We talked about that last week. They're going to rule with them, you know, and, and that period, but they think it's going to happen here and now. It's disappointing, to say the least, you know, to hear that it's not going to happen that way, uh, that they're going to be serving. <laughs> it's the opposite of what they expect. And it only gets more disheartening because Jesus tells Peter he'll even deny knowing him multiple times in the next like, 12 hours. So it's got to be a quiet, somber atmosphere. And Jesus picks up on this. He switches gears a little bit in John 14. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. And if this were not so, what I have told you, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I'll come and get you, so that you'll always be with me where I am. And Jesus is trying to lift their spirits. This, this isn't the end. He's encouraging them. Now, how did he do it? Well, he, he takes their earthly problem, you know, I don't like how this is playing out. And he gives them a heavenly solution. Yeah, but it's not about everything here. It's about God's will in heaven. In other words, our expectations about this earth, well, like they're all wrong. So many think that God is obligated to work everything out here, but he's not. In fact, God's on mission to get you out of here, right? To get you out of this world. So, sometimes things are going to work out for sure. But God's answer to your issues is not an earthly solution. It's... In my house, there's a lot of rooms. <laughs> Listen, when earth gets hard, focus on heaven. And I think Jesus would tell us, you know, hey, I, I, I know it's hard. I know you've got this roller coaster called life that gives you 100-foot drops every time you think things are going to work out finally, you know? But I need you to focus on eternity because my kingdom, you know, hey, that, that, that is forever. My pastor growing up used to have this saying, he would say, you know, if you know God, then this earth is as close to hell as it gets. But if you don't know him, well, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get to. I've noticed a lot of folks over the years, more senior folks, more elderly folks, right? As they get closer to their time being done on this earth, they focus almost entirely on eternity. Everything is about what comes next. In fact, truly happy individuals are not putting all their eggs into the basket of things working out here. They're looking beyond this life. They realize this earth isn't all it's cracked up to be. And if they're believers, this is really true, they're ready to go home. You ever been around very elderly Christians before? They almost always talk about seeing Jesus and being ready to leave this world and find their peace, enjoying God's kingdom. There is a reason for that, right? Like this earth is not their home. It's not, it's not the home for a follower of Christ. It's just a stop, man. You're just passing through on your way to God's kingdom. So your table topic question, man, is, is who needs your encouragement this week? 
Who in your life could benefit from a kind word? Who could you text to say, like, hey, I'm thinking about you. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. I'm behind you. Like, who needs that, hey, let's grab coffee kind of encouragement? Don't be the Christian who just attends church. Like, be the Christian who lives it out, who's a part of living their faith out and being that encourager. Now, Jesus talks about something else important that final night. He talks about unity. Look at John 15. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. So those who remain in me, and I in them, they will produce much fruit. Look at this part. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is a really special passage to me for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is it's the very passage that convinced my grandfather years ago to give his life over to Christ. He came to the realization, I, like, I really do need Jesus. It's human nature to want to do our own thing our own way, to be very divisive, you know? But Jesus says He's divine. He's what unites us only, not just with God, but also with other people. The vine gives all the other branches the right nutrients. To produce fruit. Without it, you can't get blackberries, muscadines, grapes. The vine is central to producing fruit. When you follow Jesus, you're rooted in this vine. In fact, the better, better word is actually grafted. And we're going to talk more about this later in the year we get to Romans. But grafted means like you weren't even a part of this vine originally. It's, you're, you're not, it's, it's, you, don't even, you don't occur naturally here, right? You were taken and put in this vine or grafted into the vine so you can find life and produce fruit too. And the, the truth is this, that God doesn't need us. He didn't need to offer salvation, He didn't offer forgiveness, but in His goodness and His great love for us, He brought us into relationship with Jesus. So don't just live your life knowing that God exists, knowing how to get into His kingdom. Man, go make a difference. And you can start by serving right here at Radiant if you're local and if you're not sure where to begin. But I want you to think about the bigger picture. Go beyond Sunday. Think about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Saturday. How can I make a difference? Who can I encourage? Who can I serve? How can I bear the good fruit in all that I do for Christ? I think Jesus would say, hey, listen, we can do more together than we can apart. You have a part to play. You're a piece to the puzzle of God's grand design that He wants to accomplish. And you're a piece that's unique. No one else can fill your role. No one can do what you do and how you do it with the perspective and personality that you have. You're not supposed to do every part. And I think this is where we get hung up sometimes, you know? Like we feel as if we have to be the answer to everybody's problems and fix every issue. And this is something which really trips up guys, I think, more than the ladies, you know, because the way that God hardwired men for the most part is to take on leadership role and provider roles. And it's why a guy's first reaction to almost everything is, how do I fix it? Right? And the truth is, you can't always fix it. You're not even supposed to always fix it. You're just supposed to do your part. And when all of us do our part, we can do a lot together. So your question is this, what do you think your part is? You weren't made to sit on the sidelines. So what part can you play in your church community? What unique piece of the puzzle can you offer at your workplace or around town? What is the part that God has uniquely given to you to make a difference? Now, the most prominent table topic of the evening doesn't center around serving or encouragement or unity, although each of those are important and they're great. The most prominent 
topic featured the Holy Spirit. And almost all of John 14, and certainly all of John 16, is on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Christ introduces him here in John 14. He says, 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and I'll give you another advocate. He will never leave you. Now, this is important. Because what is Christ fixing to do? He's fixing to leave these guys, right? Even after the resurrection, he's going to send back into heaven, you know, a little later. So the Holy Spirit is going to come and remain. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you in all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize, you know, him. But you know him. And he lives with you now. And later will be with you. The Holy Spirit is not a, a force, you know, he's not an it or a ghost. He's a person. The third person will be called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's telling his followers here that even though that Christ is leaving, God's going to remain. The Holy Spirit's going to be a part of your lives from this day forward. The world will have no idea who the Spirit is because the Spirit is given to someone the moment they say yes to Jesus. So many people think, you know, and that, that you're kind of crazy for talking about the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, they can't see Him, they can't hear Him, they can't recognize Him, but He's with every believer. In fact, Jesus keeps going. He, he, listen to what critical role the Holy Spirit's going to play in verse number 8. And when He comes, He'll convict the world of its sin. This is the first role of the Holy Spirit here, and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Skip down to verse number 13 here in John chapter 16. Uh, he, he continues, When the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you in all truth. And he, he will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He has heard. heard. Heard from who? Heard from God. He will tell you about the future. He'll bring glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. See, there it is. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. Listen, I think Jesus would say, to the voice of the Holy Spirit within you. And His voice is only as loud as your willingness to listen. Some of you, you've got so many competing voices going on that you can't listen. So slow down, shut the noises out, and then pray something like this. Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me? What are you wanting to show me? And then listen and obey. That prompting and prodding you keep feeling, man, that, that's not your conscience. It isn't Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder here, okay? That is the Spirit of God. So listen to Him and act to what He's prodding you to do. You know the danger in ignoring each prompting that you tamp, you know, that you tamp down the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life to the point where you just can't even recognize what He's trying to say or do within you. I've always marveled at people who, who have these wild stories, you know, things like, hey, I just felt something in my spirit, and so I did this, and wow, like what a miracle. Like over the years, I realized it's not, it's not dumb luck. <laughs> it's more than the right place at the right time. These are Christians who are so sensitive to the voice and moving of the Holy Spirit. They step out in obedience each time He speaks. And sometimes it makes them look a little weird to the casual observer, but each response to each prompting helps them to be more in tune with God's Spirit and leads them to be a part of some pretty amazing things. And so the question then is this, what has the Holy Spirit been trying to say to you? Now maybe He's speaking to you in a dream, or maybe He's trying to warn you, or He's getting you ready to start something in your life, or stop something even in your life. You know, uh, what is He saying? You know, God doesn't have a speaking problem, we have a hearing problem. 
So slow down and listen. Finally, we come to the very end, the last table topic. It takes us to John chapter 17. This is such a special place in Scripture because Jesus will start to pray, but He doesn't pray for what's to come in the next several hours exclusively. He also prays for His disciples, and then He prays for you. Look at this, John 17, verse number 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and I, by the way, okay? I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, look at this, so that the world will believe you sent me. What's that last statement that Christ would make to us today? I think he would say, pray about everything. Jesus prayed all the time. He'd get by himself to pray. He'd pray with the small group. He'd pray with the crowd. He'd pray in times of trouble and distress. He'd pray in victorious moments. He prayed at this meal. He prays again here. And then, you know, he gets up later to do what? To go pray some more in Gethsemane. Can I just tell you, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Your final question, what do you need to give to God in prayer? This is something I think many of us, we give lip service to, or maybe we spend a few minutes doing, and that's kind of it. I, I, I don't have all the solutions, but I know the one who does. And I have to remind myself that pretty much every day, because man, I am Mr. Fix-It. I want to fix it all. I want to save everybody, warn everybody. I want to right every wrong. I want to hold on to things. Like I, I want control. That's my default mode. But I have to remember, I need to open up and let God take care of everything. He cares for me. He cares for you. He can take care of those needs that you have in your life. Five table topics. Five chapters. What a really powerful inside look that John gives us into that final night. But now we turn to Matthew 26 because... I want us to take communion together. Now, you don't need holy bread or blessed juice or whatever. If you, if you don't have the elements, pause it right now. Go grab your crackers, get your juice, and then just come on back, okay? Matthew 26, 26 through 27. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from it. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Can we pray and we'll participate together? God, I thank you for who you are and for your goodness and grace. Thank you for sending your Son sending the Holy Spirit, Lord, just to guide and direct us, your Son to die for us and forgive us. Father, I pray that as we, before we take this, this, this communion together, the Lord, you would search our hearts, forgive us of any wrong we've done, cleanse us, God, from any sin that we've committed. Lord, we thank you that your body was broken, that Jesus, you, you, you came for us. You didn't have to, but you had such great love for us. Father, you had such great love for your, your, your children that you would send your son to die in our place. We thank you that your body was broken and bruised and battered so that, God, we didn't have to walk through the punishment for our sins. And we honor and remember that sacrifice here today. Can we eat together?
Now, Lord, we pray for the forgiveness of our sins. Blood is required, the scriptures say, to forgive us of our wrongs and, and sin and darkness. We thank you that it wasn't our blood that was shed on that cross. That Jesus, you took the place for our hearts and our lives by dying for us. Thank you that your blood cleanses every wrong. That your blood cleanses the deepest, darkest of sin. That not only cleanses and forgives us, but Isaiah says your blood was shed so we could be healed. God, I pray for those today who need healing in their lives. Lord, not that there's power in communion, but I pray, Lord, if they need a miracle, if they need a healing touch physically, emotionally, mentally, God, may you grant that to them here today. I pray in your mercy and grace that, Lord, you would give them the healing that they require and they desire. Thank you for shedding your blood, Lord Jesus, satisfying God's wrath and punishment for us so that we could be free, that we could be healed, and we could be forgiven. Can we drink together here today as well? God, thank you for every person watching and listening here today. Thank you for each every individual who participated today with communion. And, you know, we, we may not be together. We might be far apart, different states, different countries. You know, maybe, maybe folks aren't able to come in in person today. They're watching online. But, God, we can still take communion together and celebrate together in the body of Christ. And, Lord, I thank you for what you're going to be doing in our hearts and our lives moving forward. Continue to help us become more like you. Touch us, bless us, help us to grow uh, deeper in our walk, understanding of you. And uh, Lord, help us to, to be sensitive to the moving of your Holy Spirit and to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit in our lives as well. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.